Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. It's a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today is episode 401. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's read our passage. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? Even though I am absent in the body, I am present in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who has been doing such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. He has received a report from the household of Chloe that there's divisions, and he's been dealing with that in his letter. And he has heard now that there's this immorality going on. So he's dealing with this aspect of what's going on in Corinth. He had founded the church five years earlier, and now he's appealing to them as their spiritual father to change their ways. Last time he ended the section with, he's going to come, and it's up to them whether he comes with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. Well, now he's taken the point that it looks like it's going to be the rod, because you guys are really messing up. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It is actually reported there is sexual immorality among you, and the kind of sexual immorality that not even tolerated among the Gentiles. Well, the word for sexual immorality is the word pornea, and it exactly is that. It's just a, a general word for sexual immorality of most any kind. And that's what's going on. It's sexual immorality. However, in this case, he says, and even the Gentiles don't tolerate this kind of immorality. Now remember, they are in Corinth. Corinth is the Las Vegas on steroids of the Greek world. There is all kinds of immorality from our point of view in Corinth. In fact, to act in a very immoral way would be to act the Corinthian in the Roman world. It's just such a loose, immoral town. And that's where they live. That's where they're from. But what's going on and being tolerated in the church is worse. So he says, this isn't even tolerated among the Gentiles. Even unbelievers don't allow this kind of stuff to go on. And he specifies what it is. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, we don't know how he knows about this. And the talk about the divisions was reported to him from Chloe's household. Chloe was somebody who had dealings with Corinth, and somebody had apparently been there and came back with this report of the factions. Here he says it's reported, but we don't know how. Perhaps it was from Stephanos, uh, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They're listed at the end of the letter as people from Corinth who were with him in Ephesus. And presumably they're the three who take this letter back to Corinth. But somehow he knows, he's been told, what's going on. 
man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, the verb here is present tense, which in Greek means an ongoing action. It's not a thing that happened. It's a thing that is happening. So apparently it's not an event that happened. It's an ongoing present reality. So that's what's going on. Verse 2, and you are arrogant. Arrogant could also be translated as proud or puffed up. So their attitude about it is arrogance. He says, shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? So he's shocked at their lack of shockedness to this. They're proud of themselves. And we don't know what it is that makes them this way. Some say it's just because of their pagan influences themselves. They're too close to that life to really be shocked by it. Some think it's more of a theological misunderstanding of Christian freedom. Hey, we're, we're in Christ. We're free to do what we want to do. And so this argument's both ways. He doesn't explain what it is, but some people have done an in-depth analysis of the, the language of this letter and come down uh, different ways on why they think they're arrogant. But the point is, they are. Paul says, you, you shouldn't be proud of this. You should be grief-stricken, and you should remove from your congregation this man. Verse 3, even though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. Now, what's he mean by this? I, I think he means kind of the way we would mean this if we said this. Hey, I'm with you in spirit. It doesn't mean I'm there through some kind of spiritual transliteration, transformation, trans whatever, that I'm there with you in some kind of mystery way. I think it just means it's the way we would if we said, yeah, I'm with you in spirit. And don't make it any weirder than that. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who's been doing such a thing. So Paul says, I don't need to be there to say this is wrong. What I've heard is enough to say that this is wrong. And I've already pronounced judgment on this. I don't need any more information. So with you in spirit, with you, you know, of the same spirit, we were all children of God, uh, followers of Jesus Christ, and dwelt by the same Holy Spirit. I'm with you in this, but you are messed up, and I have already pronounced judgment on this. Here's what you're supposed to do. Verse 4. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, Hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's a lot in here. And translators say the, the, the Greek language here is difficult as far as which words modify which words. You can come up with several different ways to translate this as far as the, the nuances. But the message is clear. The message doesn't change. He's telling them this isn't something for a leader to do, a committee to do, a there need to be any kind of trial. The church itself needs to come together and throw him out of the church. He said back up in verse 2, should you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? And I say in the verse 4 and 5, 
do it. Remove him from the congregation. Come together as the assembled congregation of the church and remove him from the church. Now, it specifically says, hand him over to Satan. Some look back to Job where Satan goes before God and God specifically says, okay, I'm removing my protection from Job so you can go mess with him. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think the sense here is remove him from the community of God's people and cast him back into the world, which is under Satan's control. So there is protection being part of a Christian community. And so that protection is being removed and he is being cast out into the, the world which is controlled by Satan. Now, the phrase here, for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. So that the spirit may be saved is the purpose of this. He's being handed over to Satan so that his spirit may be saved. So, salvation is the goal. Redemption is the goal. So, for the destruction of the flesh, that's the anticipated result that's going to happen. And exactly what that means, there's debate over this. That he's not being handed over to Satan that is cast out into the world specifically to be destroyed, but that the fleshy part of him is to be destroyed. Because this man is living in the flesh. And throughout the Bible, we see this contrast between the flesh and the spirit. This man is not living in the spirit. He's living in the flesh. And so turning back over to the cold, cruel world to get that knocked out of him. Because the goal is redemption. The goal is the spirit may be saved. Now, in the day of the Lord, that's just the way Paul talks, because that's when it's revealed who is actually saved. So. The goal is that he may be saved, and that will be revealed in the day of the Lord. And so he's being cast out of the church, and being in the church does carry a degree of spiritual protection, and that spiritual protection is being removed. He's being cast into the world that he might be saved. Now we'll go, we'll, we'll talk some more about this next time, about the, the specifics, some specifics of this. But the message is pretty clear. There's some gross immorality going on in this church, and you're not doing anything about it. You should be doing something about it. You have a messed up attitude about this. Paul says, I'm not there, but I know enough to know you've got to throw this guy out of the church. And the goal isn't punishment. The goal is redemption. But if he's going to act like an unbeliever, and even worse than an unbeliever, he can't be part of the church. Cast him out. Remove him from the church. We'll talk more about this next time as he uh, continues uh, discussing the, the implications of why this is such a terrible thing for the church. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through 1 Corinthians.